thank Chuck for, uh, Joseph, Chuck, I don't, not sure who it was, for beginning our, our Christmas series. Uh, in upcoming weeks, we can look forward to visits from Mary, from a shepherd, and a wise man. So we'll all be reflecting on the question posed by the hymn we sang this morning, What Child is this. Each week, through, through a little bit of drama and through scripture, we'll explore a, a different aspect of who this child truly is. The sermons will begin with four passages, one each week surrounding the child's birth. In these passages, uh, a specific person or a group of people is told about this child, and each week we'll focus on one aspect of what they're told. So, our main purpose over this four weeks, is to answer this question, what child is this? Who is uh, the Christ we celebrate at Christmas? Who is Jesus? So if you're here today and you're, you, you've yet to reach any conclusions about who Jesus is, then my prayer is that these messages will help you, help you see who Jesus is from the Word of God. And that when you see Him, when you see Him in all of His glory, that you'll be compelled to trust in Him. And for those who've already trusted in Him, I I pray that these messages will be be, be a a time of equipping and inspiration. That when you see the glory of Christ for the hundredth time or for the first time, that you'll be compelled to tell others, to tell others who He is, to tell others what He's done in your life, to tell others what He offers to them. So as we begin this series this morning, I'm just going to stop and just pray for those things. Lord God, I pray that if there are those here today that that don't know you, that don't haven't believed, haven't put their trust in you, that that your word would speak to them today, that they would come to you, they would your glory would be revealed and they would be compelled uh, to fall down at your feet. And for for those of us who have trusted in you, Father, I pray that these words would in, inspire us, equip us, encourage us to declare who you are to, to those in our world, to those who don't know you, to those who need to know you, to those who need to encounter Emmanuel, God with us. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we begin uh, with the announcement of Jesus' birth to Joseph. And it's, uh, and it's the announcement of Emmanuel. That's our first point. Beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we read this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, but betrothal was more than just what we call engagement. It, it included official arrangements. It included a prenuptial agreement. It was legally binding, a contract that could only be broken through a formal divorce. So, so Joseph and Mary are betrothed, but before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And this is a, a big problem for Joseph. The, the official marriage ceremony has not taken place, and rightly so. Uh, Joseph and Mary had not come together, but she's pregnant. Therefore, logical conclusion, Mary must have been with another man. So what will Joseph do? Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, betrothed partners, uh, were referred to as husband and wife. Uh, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph doesn't want to put Mary to shame. 
And in that culture, it would, it would possibly be more than shameful. Because uh, uh, sexual unfaithfulness during a betrothal period was considered adultery. And under the Mosaic law, it could have meant uh, the death penalty by stoning. Joseph doesn't want Mary hurt, but he also doesn't want to marry her. He doesn't want to marry an adulteress. So his plan is a quiet divorce. But then we come to verse 20 and everything changes. But, he, but as he considered these things, clearly this is weighing heavy on Joseph's heart and mind. And, and, and as he considers, apparently he falls asleep. For behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now talk about uh, dropping uh, a bombshell into your life. Mary hasn't been unfaithful. What you thought was wrong. Instead, a miracle has taken place and, and she has conceived a son from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is to name him Jesus, which is from the Hebrew uh, Yeshua or, or Joshua. And it means Jehovah is salvation, which is appropriate because this child is going to save his people from their sins. So that's the announcement to Joseph. And what does it teach us about this child? What do we learn about what child this is? First, we learn that his conception was unique in all of human history, right? That he's the product of a miraculous union between the Spirit of God and human flesh. And second, we learn that he will save his people from their sin and that he is the promised Savior who Anna and Simeon and many others were hoping for. Now today, we'll certainly touch on the fact that Jesus is the Savior. That's, that'll run through this whole series. It's the heart of, of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a Christian, that Jesus is your Savior. When we look at the birth announcement to the shepherds in, in week three, we'll focus right in there on, on Jesus as our Savior. But today and next week, we're going to focus on, on Jesus' miraculous conception and, and what that means. And the reason we're going to focus on this for two weeks is because it really has two implications. This union between God and, and humanity, between God and woman, Mary, points to two critical truths about this child. First, that he's divine. This child conceived by the Holy Spirit is God. And second, that he is human. This child conceived and born to Mary is a human being. Now today we're going to focus on his divinity because that's what Matthew focuses on in verse 22 and 23. Right after the angel announces Jesus' birth to Joseph, Matthew comments. He makes a a parenthetical statement, he makes this comment. All of this, all of what we just saw, what we read, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Over 700 years before uh, this angel appeared to Joseph and announced uh, this birth, Jesus' conception even, was a, announced by God through the prophet Isaiah. Emmanuel, God with us, was planned and executed by God Himself. 
But what does it mean that Jesus is God with us? Well, that's our, our second point this morning. Really, the nature of Emmanuel. The nature of Jesus Christ. And to understand the nature, we need to, to look at several passages in the New Testament. First, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul says that Jesus was in the form of God. This sets Jesus apart from every other person who's ever lived. That word form is the Greek morphe, which means nature or his essence, his existence, who he is. Jesus is not part God. Jesus is not like God. His form, his nature, his essence is God. The nature of that child in the manger on that first Christmas is the nature of God. Incredible and in many ways incomprehensible, but uh, 100% biblical. We see this reinforced by the Apostle John in his, in his prelude to talking about Christ as he introduces Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And down in verse 14, he continues, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus existed in the beginning with God, and as God, the, the Word, Jesus Christ, was God. Jesus is called the Word because He is the, the revelation of God. Jesus is God in human flesh, God revealing Himself to us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. In the skit, remember how Joseph responded to the question, who does Jesus look like? He said, he looks like God, if you ask me. And that's what Jesus said of himself in John chapter 14, verse 9. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. When you see Jesus in the words of your Bible, you're seeing the Word, the, the revelation of God, because the nature of Jesus is God. Jesus is 100% God. But some have asked this question. Did Jesus ever specifically say he was God? Did he? Well, not exactly. The New Testament never quotes Jesus saying, I am God. So some have asked, why do you Christians believe that Jesus is God when he never said he was? How would you answer that question? That brings us to our third point, the claim to Emmanuel. Even though Jesus never says the words, I am God, he does on many occasions claim to be God. Let's look at just a few. Just a few of those occasions. First, in, in John chapter 8, Jesus is conversing with the Jewish religious leaders. Conversing, uh, he was really arguing with them. They were arguing with him. And in verse 56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Let's stop there for a second. What does Jesus mean, before Abraham was, I am? How was Jesus uh, anything, how, how, how was Jesus anything before Abraham? Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus was born. 
And what about this I am? I am what? I am who? What's he talking about? Well, the Jews knew. Maybe you know. But if you don't, think back to Exodus chapter 3. You find the answer. This is the story of, of the burning bush. When God called Moses, and Moses asked God, uh, what is your name? Uh, you're sending me to these people. Who shall I say is sending me? And in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God says his name is I am. And that became the basis of the name by which the Jews referred to God. We, we, we say Yahweh, and Jesus applies this name to himself. So if you were a Jew, you would know that Jesus, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be that God that met with Moses at the burning bush. And that's confirmed by what happens next. Verse 59, we read, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You stone a blasphemer. You stone someone you believe equates himself with God. The people of Jesus, they knew that he was claiming to be God. And some weren't happy about it. There's a similar story in John chapter 10. The Jews asked Jesus specifically to tell, tell us, are you the Christ? Are you the promised Messiah? And in response, Jesus says, look, my, my miracles speak for myself. I, I, he also says that God gave him the power to give eternal life. And in John chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And then look what happens. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus' enemies knew that he was claiming to be God. But, but what about his friends? Let's go over to John chapter 20, which takes place after the resurrection. Jesus had a, appeared to some of his disciples, but one of his disciples, Thomas, was not around. The other disciples told Thomas, hey, Jesus is back. Thomas expressed some doubt about the veracity of their claim, about Jesus' resurrection. So later, when the disciples were gathered again and Thomas was with them, we read in John chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands and put your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Thomas says, Jesus is God. And if Jesus was not claiming to be God, this would have been a perfect opportunity to say, no, Thomas, you've got it all wrong. I, I'm not God. But, but that's not what Jesus says. In verse 21, Jesus told Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Jesus confirms that Thomas is right and he is God. So his enemies believed he was claiming to be God. His friends Believed he was God. Now the fact that Jesus or anyone claims or believes someone to be God doesn't make them God. But once we see that yes, Jesus did claim to be God, then there, there are three basic answers to the question, what child is this? These are, and this is our fourth point, the options for Emmanuel. 
Based on Jesus' claim to be God, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book Mere Christianity, gives three logical options for who Jesus Christ could possibly be. We're going to look at those in sort of a paraphrase of, of what Lewis wrote. The first option would be that, that Jesus was a liar. If he claimed to be God, but wasn't, then he must have been lying. Now, now I don't think very many people, even those who don't believe Jesus was God, would say that he was a liar. Instead, they would say something like, uh, something like what Thomas Jefferson said several hundred years ago. Jesus is the highest, the greatest of human teachers. He's a great teacher, a great man who had powerful things to say. Things that his people need to listen to more. He had great teachings. He wasn't God. He was a great teacher, a great man. Now it's true that Jesus taught many powerful things. It's true he was a great teacher and a great man, but the most powerful things he taught were about himself. Listen to uh, John 14, verse 6 and 7. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Because I'm him, is basically what he's saying. And so if Jesus is teaching these amazing things about himself, and if Jesus is claiming to be God, but he isn't God, then that makes him a liar. And if he's a liar, then the last thing we should say is that he's a a great teacher, that he's a great man. Do you call a teacher great who is lying and deceiving everyone he teaches? No. But that's our first option, that Jesus is a liar. Now you say, well, I don't like that option. I mean, he taught and and he did so many good things. He gave us the golden rule He told us to turn the other cheek. He spoke of love and mercy and forgiveness. Those don't seem like the words of a liar. And and why does a liar lie? A liar lies to, to get out of something or to gain something. What did Jesus gain from his lies but the the cross? I'm not ready to say Jesus is God, but he's clear he wasn't a liar. Well, that leaves you with the second option. If Jesus claimed to be God but wasn't God, and one isn't a liar, then Jesus was a, a lunatic. Jesus isn't unique in, in claiming to be God. Many people have made that claim. And we tend to know what to do with those people, right? If I started claiming to be God today, then it's time for me to step down as the pastor and move on and get some serious help, right? But if I claim to be God... And then I start walking on water and feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. I raise a few people from the dead. And and if I heal people of diseases and blindness and sickness, and I preach profound, life-changing messages on love and forgiveness, you might say, well, I, I better think about what this guy is claiming it doesn't make sense that a, a crazy man would say, say and do such amazing things. But that's our second option. That Jesus thought he was God. He was trying to be as truthful as possible, but he was just insane. But the thing is, hardly anybody would say that about Jesus. Even many educated unbelievers have uh, much respect for who Jesus is as a person. Thomas Jefferson, for example. 
They wouldn't say he's a liar or a lunatic. So if Jesus did claim to be God, and we don't believe he's a liar or a lunatic, then the only possibility is that what he said is true. That Jesus was Emmanuel. That he was as the angel had proclaimed, God with us. And therefore, C.S. Lewis put it, put it this way. Our only option is, Jesus is Lord. Lewis wrote, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at your feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us, and he didn't intend to. It's not an option to call Jesus a great man, a great human teacher. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord of glory. And if he is the Lord, if he is God, then we have to respond to him as the Lord. There are three options uh, of who Jesus is, but there are only two responses to those options. If you don't believe that Jesus is Emmanuel, if you don't believe Jesus is God with us, if you don't believe he's the Lord, then, then he's either a liar or a lunatic, and your decision is the same. You must reject him. You must run from him. You must not trust him or follow him or follow his followers. And rejection is the response that, that many have taken and continue to take. But there's another response for those who believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. If you believe that he's Emmanuel, God with us, that he was in the, in the form, that his nature is God, that, that he is the word of God, the revelation of God among us, that he on that first Christmas came into our world, that he lived a perfect sinless life and then willingly went to the cross to die in our place, to die for our sins, to provide us with righteousness and forgiveness and salvation and eternal life, then you must trust in Him. You must put your faith in Him alone. You must receive Him as your Lord and Savior. As the Apostle John wrote uh, in that same chapter, in between verse 1 and, and verse 14 and verse 12, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saying, I believe, I believe, and I belong to you. I believe in you, and I belong to you. They go together. He's your Savior and your Lord. You're giving your life to Him. You're, you're giving your life to Emmanuel. So those are the two responses. You can either reject Him or receive Him. And if today, who Jesus is has, has, be, has become clear to you, your eyes are, are opening, that He's Emmanuel, God with us, that He's come, that He's the one who's come to save His people from their sins, and you want to receive Him, then your only response is to believe, to have faith in Him, to trust in Him alone, to believe that He is Emmanuel, God with us, to have faith that He on the cross provided you with salvation from your sins, and to trust in Him to be the Lord of your life. I want to just pause here, just have us pray, stop for a, a moment of silence, if you now are, are, are 
maybe for the first time, seeing who Jesus truly is and would like to receive him, I just want to give you that opportunity in your own heart, saying to God that you believe Jesus is the Lord and, and you want him as your Savior. So, so just take a moment of silent prayer, giving your life to Christ.